0: Stephen Wardell. This show is being recorded and will be included in my podcast series called Digital Health Investor Talk. Subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Google, and Spotify. This is not investment advice and we are not investment advisors. Our guest today is Jeremy Sohn. Jeremy is the managing partner of P74 Ventures, a new venture fund focused on innovation and business model transformation within the pharma industry. He's a seasoned venture capitalist, having led pharma tech investments at MPM Capital, Novartis's DRX Capital, and Magnetar Capital, before founding P74. He's a serial entrepreneur, having founded or been early executive in seven tech companies, and most recently he served as the global head of digital business development and licensing partnerships and innovation at Novartis. That sounds like quite a, a cool job and a mouthful of job title, Jeremy. Um, so, uh, And then as a, member, as a member of Novartis's global data and digital leadership team, you can follow him on LinkedIn. Today's topic is what's hot in pharmatech? What are the big pain points in pharma and how can tech fix them? First off, here's the format of today's show. We'll chat for about 30 minutes about the news and other issues. And then we'll talk about the topic of today's call for another 30 minutes, and then we'll be taking questions in the text chat and call ins from the audience. In order for you to do more than just watch, you need to register for an account with Call In. To register, you can access Call In at that's callin.com, that's C A L L I N dot com, or through the, the Call In social podcasting app in the App Store. The Call In platform works similarly to Clubhouse Rooms and Twitter Spaces for a modern social audio experience. Once you've registered, you can use the text chat or press the website's call-in button to join in the discussion. So welcome to the show, Jeremy, and it'd
1: be nice to have you introduce yourself to our audience. Thank you very much, Stephen. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, I think you already gave a a little bit of an update on uh, on my background, so I don't know how much more there is to say, but uh, I really just enjoyed for the last 10 years working uh, with my peers uh, in the industry focusing on what's all important to each of us, which is is making healthcare more accessible uh, to consumers and, uh, and doing that from a, a pharma, uh, from a pharma lens. So great to be here. That's great, thank you. So
0: we'll go over, we'll start with the macro outlook. So last week, the Fed raised the federal funds rate by 25 basis points to the range of 4.75 to 5% and made noises that it had come to the end of its campaign to raise rates. Um, It raised rates 10 times and uh, rates were were near zero when it started. Um, And this is the lowest rate, the risk-free rates. Other rates out there on corporate bonds are 10% or or whatever. Um, So this week, uh, the Bureau of Labor Statistics announced uh, an an official CPI rate of 4.9%, which is relatively high, but it's not as high as we've had lately. And that's coming in just under expectations that it would be five to five point one percent. So, uh, and the Fed made some noises that it, that it's come to the end of raising rates. So, in general, um, I, I want to try to interpret this: what these changes mean for the innovation community, which is young company leaders and VCs who fund them. And so, in general high rates are bad for innovators they're bad for growth companies they're bad for uh, earnings negative growth companies um, and inflation's also bad for them so in general that's bad and that's been recognized and incorporated into the markets and so now we're at a kind of we're, we're managing bad but things are not out of control and things are looking up a little bit relative to the recent past so the fact the fed has said it's probably not going to raise rates anymore means it thinks that inflation is not going to be out of control and means that investors can have that solidity of knowing that rates are not going to go up a lot in the near future. So I think I think some investors have been waiting on the sidelines for a reduction in uncertainty, and this is a catalyst that reduces uncertainty. Um, it reduces the chance, for example, the Fed's going to raise rates and see the Nasdaq pull in a lot in the future. That, that's a concern. The Nasdaq may still pull in and go up and down, uh, but it's not going to pull in because the Fed raised rates by a point or two further. Um, so uh, that's kind of my, my interpretation. And what, what I, I, so an optimistic view of the future would be that investors who have funds that have fund lives on those funds and who have been sitting on the sidelines for six quarters, six or seven quarters, um, are, and who need to start investing um, are going to see this as a signal uh, to start investing more. Uh, in digital health, so we're, I, th- I think we, we haven't seen that the last few quarters. I think we, there's a greater chance we will see that in the future because of what the Fed did two weeks ago and because the CPI came in you know at, as expected or a little under expected. so the the uncertainty and the risk is more understood and and, uh, and more controlled. So Jeremy, would love to get your thoughts on what uh, this, the macro outlook you know means for the innovation community.
1: Um, you know, I appreciate the question. I want to start by saying I'm I'm certainly not a macroeconomic uh, expert by any stretch of the imagination, but let, let me just give you a couple of um, of my own personal observations and and uh, and impressions. So um, you know, everything that you said is is that this is a good sign. You know, I think you know at the same time, and I'm very much a people who know me, I'm very much a, a half-glass full and a half-glass empty kind of person. So I'm excited by it, but I'm also in fairness. Um, uh, it's not yet uh, giving me reason to be overly optimistic for the next six months, and uh, I should say for the next twelve months, but but certainly for the next six months. You know, the CPI sort of moderating is good, uh, but you still see a a, a hot labor market. Uh, um, most people, you know, who at least that I'm listening to on the, on the radio and and reading about, you know, will argue that the CPI is roughly at the same rate as um, as wage inflation, and so. You know, at the end of the day, is it a moderating effect or not? It's hard to say. The Fed is also looking for some sort of you know, indications that uh, that the market is slowing down. And, and while that's a good indication, I'm not sure that they're going to necessarily pull back. in the same way that it took them a while to move in. I'm, I'm not sure that they're going to pull back anytime soon. And so until we see sort of meaningful reduction in interest rates, um, and we get beyond the period where people are still a little bit worried about a potential recession, uh, assuming that the Fed hasn't sort of like pushed the market into an overreaction, um, I think investors are still a little bit wary. Uh, this is also one other quick comment: is this is also a little bit compounded. You know, as an event, as an investor, but also as an entrepreneur, where I, you know, I it, it pains me to say this, but the liquidity in the market. Uh, it's still very very constrained. It doesn't mean that there aren't deals being done and that there you know that there isn't money. there's actually a tremendous amount of money um, primarily sitting on the sidelines and or being withheld for existing investments. So if you're an existing investment inside in a, a, a portfolio, you're probably well positioned if you're a new company you know ra- looking to raise capital, you're looking to raise capital from a new set of venture firms um, or the alternative investment vehicles, family offices or high worths, there's a lot of illiquidity there. People sitting on the sidelines. High interest rates gives you uh, a reasonable return profile, you know, as an alternative to venture. You know, when when interest rates were zero or one percent, venture was hugely attractive. Uh, when interest rates are, you know, in this, you know, LIBOR plus three, you know, now you're looking at ten percent. I mean that those are those are above traditional market returns. So. Um, I think again, it's it's going to be a while until we see um, a return to normalcy. Uh, Probably, honestly, not 12 months, but 18 months until we until we get there. Um, That's Jeremy Stone's not uneducated, (laughs) but but it, it seems that's what I'm hearing from everyone else in the market as well.
0: that that, that's great to hear and so also let me just add in there um and i think this was somewhat backed up by some rock health stuff i saw recently but when it comes to like series c d crossover and ipo uh that's down 95 to 100 percent um and the ipo window is closed um uh, when it comes to a and b that's down like 75 percent um and when it comes to seed uh that's down only like 25%, that's, that, that's, that's still pretty robust. And we're actually seeing a boomlet in AI applied to healthcare at the, at the pre-seed. And that tends to be smaller pools of money, different kinds of people, much longer time horizons, that, that seed stage stuff. Uh, and so when we're talking about things getting back to normal, we're talking about sort of getting the, the series A back up and then maybe getting the IPO window open again uh, and getting those, those parts of the, of the capital food chain uh, you know back, back up to
1: normal. Yeah, I think I think you are absolutely right. There are going to be certain segments in the market that will that um, are, are very attractive. So AI, generative AI in particular, is all the rage. Um, it's good to see some of those early stage investments. I um, I would actually expect to see a lot of activity what I what I call sort of this opportunistic uh, um, based investing. There is a lot of capital that wants to put big money to work. Uh, unfortunately, some of those companies that raise Series C, D, you know, growth stage businesses at valuations. That may now be inconsistent with where the market is uh, and where their existing investors uh, are unable to sort of follow on, unfortunately, or where they may have taken on too much you know, debt, given again, that if they didn't, if they had floating debt, which most of those venture debt uh, vehicles were, um, you went from zero interest rates or seven to nine interest rates, to now 15 you know, to 17. Uh, it's just unsustainable for the vast majority. So there's a lot of recaps and takeouts uh even take private so where we're i would expect to see a lot of activity from investors particularly the big funds uh on those kinds of again think about them as, as opportunity driven uh investments so um keep your eyes out for for that if you have money and you're looking to acquire assets uh ip tech companies revenue at low cost it's a great time to be investing
0: so it's it's not great if you were in in the market and raised money at a high valuation and uh, now uh, you know three years ago you may face a down round you may face as management you may face being you know things being upside down for you with no clear path to sort of getting back to making it worth it for you um, but if you're if you're sort of making new investments today in brand new things or in in down rounds you know that this could be a good vintage to be doing that. Um, and I'll throw in, you know, thinking about the IPO window, that, that could really get a whole couple of cylinders going to charge this. And so what's happening there? Well, the, IP windows, the IPO window is closed, um, but we're, uh, I'm following three announcements. We're, you know, we're seeing um, ARM, the UK chip manufacturer, has said that it will go public probably in the fall. Uh, we're seeing um, uh, Instacart has said it will go public probably in the fall. I'm, you know, I'm looking for the announcement when, of when those dates are. Uh, and the consumer division of J&J, Kenview, I think it's called, has said it will go public. That's like Tylenol and Band-Aids, and probably also in the fall. And so what we need to see and following those, we need to see those have successful IPOs, and then we need to see the price go up after the IPO, (laughs) and then we need to see it stay up after the IPO. And if that happens, then I think you'll see many, Tech unicorns and digital health unicorns follow, um, and so we'll we'll get that reading in the fall, whether that's happening or not. And then you could see start seeing the digital health IPOs six months after that. So it's it's six months to the fall, and then it's six months you know to uh, when digital health companies might IPO. So that that's twelve months out. Uh, but that would really uh, allow the freeing up because a lot of these later stage deals, like Series D, is done with a time frame of like, we're doing a series D now, but we expect to go public in 18 months, but if the IPO window is closed and there's no IPO, then you can't get the, the series D done or whatever. So, um, but that, so that, that, that's my optimistic take on when the IPO window might, um, you know, might uh, open. I don't, I don't have any thoughts on that.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I think you're absolutely right, but I, I would only add, and again, I, I hate to be sort of, you know, Debbie Downer here, but you know, the, the challenge on the liquidity market there is, is you get six months, six months, and then actually another six months. So what do we mean by the another six months? Well, most of the investors are locked up who want to get out of the IPO, who were in the original investment, who can now you know get out of that uh, investment via the IPO. They, there's a minimum six-month hold period. So until that basically hold period is actually exhausted and then – the money gets returned back to the original LPs, and then they could recycle it back into the market. You're again, you're you're adding additional, you know, time and months. So that's why, you know, I, I said before, twelve to eighteen months is sort of the optimistic time frame for you know for markets to hopefully come back to some level of normalcy. Doesn't mean there's not money out there. Don't get me wrong; there's plenty of money out there, but that sort of confidence around what those liquidity cycles are is is what the uh, is what the biggest issue is.
0: And how's the how is the pharma industry, um, you know, uh, feeling these days in terms of are they feeling rich and spendy or uh, pressured?
1: Yeah, you know, so it's interesting. So, you know, I so contrary to what we just said, you know, while a lot of the traditional investors, you know, VC firms, PE firms, uh, institutional investors, etc., cetera, are, are uh, again, sort of in this in this complicated you know stage. Um, strategics, uh, they're generating cash through their normal course of business. And so, uh, and pharma companies, as we know, are, are high, you know, high value, high margin businesses. And so um, there's a lot of money that is being generated and, and valuations are low. And this is actually a particularly attractive time for pharma companies to do deals. Um, I would expect a big uptake. I think we're also reading about that big uptake in m activity and in licensing deals, uh, you know, to take place certainly on the biotech side uh, maybe even on, you know, it's called a medium, to you know, large, uh, uh acquisitions, tuck-ins, mergers, um, on the digital health side, um, I think there's money to be played and maybe put to work and, but, um, you know, a lot of pharma dollars are, are, uh, um, are not traditionally being invested in, in, in digital health and even in pharma tech. So, um, there's reason to be optimistic, but I'm not, you know, I don't want to be overly optimistic on on that front. I I expect more of the activity to be focused around their biotech pipelines.
0: That's great. So um, I'm going to move on to the valuation section. So uh, I'll just reference for our audience, you know, the most recent um, SAS capital index for end of April said that the median valuation levels for all public SaaS companies on a forward revenue basis was 6.5x, and that, that's down a little bit from the prior month. Um, uh, and so that, that that's an interesting basis point to think about for public SaaS companies at that, because that, that valuation level often helps to set the valuation for private companies. Um, and that compares to uh, and, and so now, also high growth SaaS today can be trading at eight to twelve times. So that so that's good. Use. Certainly, a lot of the companies we're thinking of are high growth SaaS. Um, but this compares to um, uh, the highs of twenty twenty one, and where the median SaaS was trading at sixteen times. So it's come down by more than half, and high growth SaaS was trading at thirty to thirty five times. And so. Yeah. Across the board, we're seeing in tech and in digital health, uh, you know, uh, you know, value write downs and valuations of 75% or greater, um, and um, also the valuation environment is risk off, which means that uh, companies tend to get valued based on profits, not based on sales, uh, and they tend and the market tends to not like earnings negative companies, um, not value them as highly, uh, not want to invest further in them. Um, And the NASDAQ has been mostly sideways and a little bit up uh, the last three months. That's a good measure for how growth companies are are, are being seen by investors. Uh, Jeremy, any thoughts on on valuation?
1: Yeah, so, um, you know, a few things. So, you know, valuations clearly are soft. I I don't think that a lot of the valuation reset has yet um, been repriced into into many PE and VC funds for sure at a macro level or at a fund portfolio level. It is happening, you know, from deal to deal. Uh, where it needs to happen, a lot of VCs, uh, MP firms are trying to avoid that wherever they can by doing either insider-led rounds, doing bridge notes, doing convertible notes, you know, et cetera. Um, you know. The, the good news is, is that this is a great time, Steve, you said this before, is a great time to be an investor, particularly on the early stage. Uh, and even in the mid to late stage where, you know, if you find a great company with good bones, good revenue and good growth, uh, ideally with profitability, but, you know, or a path to profitability, but but it doesn't even have to be. It just has to be a a controlled burn is the way I would describe it. Uh, it's where you see an uncontrolled burn that that, that, that people are worried. But um. Uh, It's, a you know, valuations, uh, valuations coming down um, in many cases, although it hurts for a lot of founders. I was a founder many, you know, many times over. It hurts, but this is actually good for the market Uh, because the valuations before were not sustainable. You know, uh, there was a Unfortunately, and again, it worked. It worked well for some, but it, it it there were some bad behaviors. Valuation shouldn't be off of four twelve months. They shouldn't be you know in the SPAC markets they were off of like future revenue potential two three four years out. Uh, you know those things for all rational investors they they go against everything you learn in business school and everything you learn in investment banking or in private equity etc. So um, hopefully we're back to sort of like good economics. Which when you have good economics, then you can then expectations it's easy to rely and, and, and have predictability around what's going to happen if I grow, uh, and I, and I, and continue to create value. I should, I should be able to unlock and realize value. So we're I'm, I'm super excited as a new fund, you know, we're overjoyed. This is a great time to, to be investing, putting money to work. Um, we have a little bit, again, we can run underneath the radar and, uh, um, uh, again, it's, uh, and you could see that hopeful, that big step up. So as multiples, hopefully return, we're still seeing actually, again, you know, on your comment around multiples, um, I hope the multiples return back to those medians. Um, of course on, on my deals, I hope they return to the 30 to 35 X, but you know, at least on the exit, uh, um, but, uh, I like those sort of safe six to 12 X, you know, trailing 12 months revenue multiples. Those are fine. Uh, Ebitda multiples on, on venture doesn't, in my opinion, doesn't make sense. they at that point. Are they really venture? So let's let's. It's okay to focus on revenue. Trailing twelve months revenue, in that range, those are healthy ranges, and everyone will be happy. Should be happy.
0: That's great. And Montel comments. Uh, J and J's Kenview went public last week and is currently up eighteen percent. Uh, a, a 48 billion dollar market cap. So that's fantastic. That means things are going faster than I thought. Um, and so we want to see a few more IPOs uh, go out and do well. Um, uh, and uh, so maybe we could see, you know, uh, you know, we could see the IPO window open sooner than expected uh, if, if Kenview Vu- went out and has been successful so far the past week. So that's great news. Thank you, Montel.
1: Okay. One, one, Stephen, one, one comment on that. One, one thing I do expect to see is, is a lot of the, you know, a lot of the big corporations are spinning out uh, um, divisions. You know, particularly divisions where, again, where it, it sometimes is, a, and I'm not saying that this is or isn't the case for JNJ and Kenview, but um, more than not, certain divisions. There used to be this idea of we wanted to de-risk, you know, our business and, and pull in multiple divisions that have represent different kinds of revenue streams, different kinds of margins. Um, what we found over the last five years or so, particularly around life, life sciences, is that it actually was a drag on on value in the market. So spinning these these high performing, high value, I mean, Kenview is some of the largest brands, well-known brands in the industry, uh, um, that makes a ton of sense. And it actually has more value outside the business than it does inside the business. That's a little contrary to what we used to think, because it has more value for J&J as a, an aggregate, but it was, it was pulling J&J down in many respects, slowing it down. And so um, it's it's good to see that it, it it's it's going up uh, post-market. I'm guessing that the bankers were pretty smart about making sure that it wasn't overpriced. It's was appropriately priced to give it a little bit of boost. So uh, um, it's good to see that. And I wouldn't be surprised again if we see more of these spin-outs.
0: Um. That's great, thanks. I didn't know about the spin-out story, but that makes a lot of sense. And yes, yeah, so bankers will often literally um, value a company like Kenview and then they will apply traditionally an IPO discount of 15% to it. So literally they will cut the value by 15% and then they go out to the very best mutual funds who are known to buy and hold. This is like Fidelity and Vanguard and BlackRock and others. Um, and they'll go and say, you know, and say, we will serve up and give you good allocations in these deals where we think we've put an IPO discount into them if you will buy and hold. And the act of getting the best mutual funds to buy and hold causes you to have price stability afterwards. And that means that the 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 uh, the buy sider who did this, they're stuck for a, a year. They're not they're, you know, they could see the stock price go down and they could, they could, you know, that could hurt them in their career inside their company. They're stuck to hold it for a year. But they were promised that approximately 15% upside and then if things go really well it could be more than 15% and they often don't get that kind of promise of upside uh, in, a, in a whole year uh, you know in their job so that, so it's a, it's a source of alpha for them. So that, that's, and so here we've seen that in the last week it's gone up 18%. So that suggests that the bankers did do a good job of giving an IPO discount to, um, those, uh, those very best mutual funds who, who bought the, the IPO. So then, um, so moving on to, um, just news from the week. And thank you in our audience. Some people are asking about news of the week. That's great. So, you know, news of the week, I'd say it remains relatively slow. Usually I, I would cover Things like the funding of a new young company—that's to me—that's news that this show cares about, and that kind of news remains slow. Not a lot of successful fundraisers out there, and more layoffs than good news from companies. Unfortunately, it's been that way for a while now. Um, and so, but for our audience, any more um, news stories—we'll get to some of the ones that you guys had asked, um, but any more that you want to ask—and uh, I see some were covered on our last show, and I may not uh, bring those up again. Um, but uh, so. Um, kkr 's Envision Healthcare announced today they they plan a chapter eleven bankruptcy filing, so um, this is a a classic LBO with a heavy load of debt that was done in two thousand and eighteen uh, it 's a radiology staffing company um, and the the press says it was brought down by high labor costs and a bruising battle with United Healthcare. Um, and they also said this may wind up being the greatest loss that KKR faces having its equity wiped down this may be the greatest loss in KKR's history. so can we draw any lessons from that in the world of of um, uh, of the the innovation economy? I, I don't see a lot from this except that you know you you can get you can get, Um, you know, payers can mess with you and change their rules and make your life very difficult. And that's, you're sort of at their mercy almost. And Athena helped used to get a lot of free press out of uh, of screaming at payers and and calling them bad names and that sort of thing. But do do you see any, um, you know, any, and this also is consistent with the idea that we may be going into a a recession um, and uh, that... uh, uh, you know, companies that plan that had plans for the last few years have seen those plans go out the window in a in a tougher environment.
1: Yeah, you know, this is a, a segment of the market that I don't know much about. I mean, I'm 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 not surprised by some of the, by you know, I, again, it's not specific to this industry. You are seeing labor uh, labor issues. There's a lot of a lot of businesses that had you know a lot of fixed fixed infrastructure costs. It's just a challenge and uh i I don't know much about this particular business but um i don't know if it's necessarily a reflection of of uh uh, of a broader set of uh um considerations around you know innovation or, or or for that matter you know changes in healthcare as much as there are some businesses as the businesses change if you get caught i mean just think about you know, a lot of great businesses from the nineties and two thousands that, that, uh, they got caught sideways because the care model changed. Right. So, uh, you know, the classic blockbuster, right. So yes, it's true. Netflix obviously saw a different model, but you know, blockbuster in many in from many perspectives got killed because of its fixed infrastructure costs and its inability to shift easily as opposed to, because, you know, they couldn't necessarily embrace the change. So, um, I don't know if that was the reason. Then, but.
0: So then, the Aegis Ventures, so that, that's a fund I'm hearing more. It's, an, it's, a, it's a fund I didn't hear of in the past, and I'm hearing more of it now. And Northwell Holdings have launched Optane with CEO, CEO Jeff Dunkel, a company that uses AI backed retinal imaging to catch early signs of disease. Um, John Beadle at, at Aegis uh, was the partner behind that. Um, so. They provided an initial seed round of investment of twelve million dollars, uh, and the launch of the company is part of a partnership called Ascertain, a company creation partnership between Northwell Holdings, the hospitals that's the hospitals venture fund, and Aegis Ventures. So, this is very interesting for a number of reasons. One is that you know they're they're throwing out AI, a, a, an AI retinal imaging company, very interesting. So. AI and computer vision is well established in healthcare. It's one of the best uses of AI in healthcare. And here you see an AI company getting funding. It's also happening in the healthcare IT sector, which is a weak sector. It's a weak sector because hospitals are in a lot of pain. They don't have a lot of budget to spend on extra clinical uh, solutions. But here, nevertheless, we're seeing this company um, running counter trend and getting funding in here. So that's a good sign for the healthcare IT sector of selling tech into hospitals. Um, These are not mainstream funds. So here we're seeing one of the few great funding stories of the week, and we're not seeing the the most famous venture funds that that back tech companies that sell into the hospital budget. We're seeing a fund I'm not that familiar with, Aegis, uh, and we're seeing a a hospital venture fund, Northwell, uh, funding it. Um, I'm glad to see funds step up. I'm glad to see a a hospital strategic venture fund step up. Um, But these are not mainstream funds. And it's an interesting uh, partnership—an AI part—a partnership to launch new companies where a venture fund has has partnered with a hospital venture fund, um, you know, probably to use the hospital as a test bed uh, and then put forth new um, AI-based digital health solutions. So, very interesting. Um, You know, I but but it's not a signal that the mainstream venture funds are jumping back into investing. We're still not seeing uh, that. So any any thoughts on this, Jeremy?
1: Yeah, I I mean, I think you nailed it. Uh, I actually am enthusiastic by the fact that we're not always, that we're seeing, there's room now in the market for, you know, some of the smaller emerging, you know, venture smaller and or emerging venture funds. Uh, I'm biased in that. I, uh, I think a lot of the bigger funds actually went up market as well and uh, both before the current environment as well as uh, uh, certainly now. And so, um, and they're dealing with their 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 portfolio and some of the challenges within that portfolio. So I think this gives us, you know, a good time for, for, for other funds to shine. And I really like the fact that some of the strategics are leaning in. I hope they continue to do that in smart and intelligent ways. Uh, AI, particularly around retinal and around uh, uh, other kinds of... Um, uh, specific therapeutic care where where um, you could tie the diagnostics uh, to um, the standard of care to when a patient should take their drug and which drug they should take uh, is clearly an emerging trend and an important one. So these are all good signs.
0: That's great. So um, Q Health, publicly traded home health testing company, laid off 30% of its workforce in the last week, 326 workers, its second layoffs this year. Um, this is a company that rode the COVID-driven at-home testing wave, and of course, that that way, now that the emergency is over, you'd expect companies there to be pulling back. Plus, in general, this is not a venture-backed company; this is a public company. But, uh, but investors are telling companies they want to see them belt-tighten, and so I think this has continued you know, signs of of belt tightening. And in this case also, they may see a receding wave of sales because people are going back into clinics. Uh, any thoughts?
1: No, I, mean, I think you're right. You know, the uh, a return back to some normalcy around, you know, COVID driven business models is not surprising. It's always a shame when people, when that leads to people being laid off. Um, you know, uh, my sense is again, there's, there's a lot of need uh, I just heard that uh, another podcast uh, um, where they were talking about the huge, huge, huge shortages in, in the nursing market. So phlebotomy, nursing, home health, these are all still very important, strong markets and